got to understand, too, coming from Denver back to the South. Right. I mean, when I left for Denver, I had been living in Atlanta and Athens, which weren't, they're not exactly small towns, at least not anymore. And it had been a long time since I had actually lived in the rural mm-hmm. South or, or been and spent any time in the, in the rural South. It was all school for me. And then I left and went out West. And that return you know, sort of to the Southeast, when all the culture, all those things that you think you hate, you don't realize how much you miss them until you move away. Coming back really helped the songwriting process. It was, it was magic for me. Welcome to Curious Goldfish, a podcast community where music and curiosity come together through interesting conversations with the music makers of our world. I'm your host, Jason English. You can find Curious Goldfish in all the major podcasts and social media platforms. And of course, we have all of our content on our website, CuriousGoldfish.com. Today we're spending time with Matt Kilo, who currently lives in Nashville but can claim Florida, Georgia, and Alabama as part of his heritage. Matt is a great example of why I wanted to do this podcast, to meet interesting people who have fascinating stories to tell. I hope you find that's the case in my conversation with him. Since speaking with him at the 38 Songwriters Festival in Florida, Matt was recognized by Nashville Scene as one of 10 artists to watch. It's recognition well-deserved, and I'm sure there will be more in the coming months and years. We covered a bunch of topics, including sources of inspiration for his first album. And just wait until you hear some of that, as well as his borderline obsession with British folk artists. It's not every day you meet someone from the Deep South who can also go deep on someone like Nick Drake. Grateful that Matt played some songs too, including Birds of Crenshaw County off that first album, which we hear a lot about but also an unreleased tune called Poor Prometheus, a nod to Matt's interest in Greek mythology. If you enjoy the episode, please give Matt a follow on Instagram and Spotify. His last name is spelled K-I-L-L-O-U-G-H. Let's dive in. I'm talking with Matt Kilo down here at the 30A Songwriter Music Festival in Florida. Matt, thanks for your time. Uh, Very welcome. Glad to be here. Is this your first year playing at the show? This is, yeah. Never, Never been down here for this before. But you've been in the area, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, like you say, my hometown's only about a maybe two and a half hour drive from here. So we were down here all the time. My mom learned to water ski in the bay. And my dad used to come down here all the time water skiing with his buddies. Our families used to spend a lot of time, you know, three, four trips a year probably. Yeah, it's a nice area. Today's oh, yeah. not so much, but uh, yeah, <laughs> th- this festival is crazy. We were here last year just as fans, and it's just different. Because there's, what, like 30 venues? Yeah. 175 artists. How, how did you uh, get involved? To be honest, I I wasn't that familiar with it. But uh, my, my best friend's uh, parents live down here now. And uh, they've been push, pushing me to do it for years. And, and this year, they his father sent sent some of my music and a, uh, an album review to the guys that organized the thing. And they essentially said they'd take me if I applied. He forwarded me that email and essentially put it in my lap. And <laughs> I couldn't couldn't turn him down on that after he did all the legwork. That's amazing. I'm glad I did it. Like, it's, it's been great thus far. 
Yeah, the, I mean, the number of artists that are down here is 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 really good. I guess, do you plan to make connections sort of officially, unofficially with people? Or you is know, it just... as much as we can, like you say, with the weather and everything else. And then today I've been kind of tied up. But it's funny, I know the guy that's playing after me at the Hilton, Tim Easton. He's a Nashville guy. Oh, right. Um, and I've, I've run into him several times around town. And I know some other folks that are down here. You know, I feel I feel like half the people that are here are probably living in Nashville in, in some capacity. But yeah, much as I can, I'd like to. And we'll definitely be out, out and about more tomorrow, have some more free time. Your backstory, can you just give us some headlines, you know, where you're from? It sounds like you live in Nashville now. Yeah, I was born in Tallahassee, Florida, but my, my parents at the time were living in Bainbridge, Georgia, which is a tiny little town, sort of in the southwest corner, right near the Alabama and Florida borders. My dad and my mom were both from South Alabama, and he moved over to Bainbridge to take a coaching job, and uh, he's a teacher until he retired a few years back. I went to high school in Bainbridge, went to a small college there, and then, then went up to UGA after that and graduated, lived in Athens for a while, lived in Atlanta, went to Emory for grad school, was there for about three, three and a half years. And then after that, I moved to Denver, and I was in Denver for 12. And I moved to Nashville in 18, and I've, I've been there ever since. Most of my family, almost all of them are from... Alabama, either Sylacauga, Talladega area, or oh. South Alabama. So, how long have you been into music? Did that start pretty early? Well, always loved music. I didn't really pick up a guitar until my middle brother brought one home. I think they had one sitting in the band room at the high school that nobody was using. One of Ben's friends had said, hey, you know, you should start playing. He brought it home, tried it for a little while, and just didn't didn't pick it up again. But I kept messing around with it. Kind of grew from there really slowly. High school, I played here and there, but I was mostly into electric stuff, like most kids are. You know, Mm -hmm. it's rock and roll. College, I really started getting more into the acoustic stuff. I was a big Led Zeppelin fan. And it's those kind of British folk tunes, you know, those acoustic numbers uh, and the altered tunings between the really big heavy songs that Jimmy Page does that captivated me. And when I heard him playing that kind of stuff, it's like, man, I I have to know how he's doing this. And it took me forever to figure out that it wasn't in standard tuning. So I was trying to make (laughs) it work and it just wouldn't. And it was so frustrating. But from there, it's like, you know, you just start kind of getting into the other British folk guys, Bert Yanch and early John Martin and some of those guys. Nick Jones has been a big one for me here lately and Roy Harper and guys like that. Robin Williamson from Incredible String Band. I don't know if you ever listened to his early stuff, but uh, blew my mind. He plays in this weird C minor tuning. It sounds so witchy. It's it's very, uh, very strange, but I don't know. That's the stuff that really kind of made me want to put down an electric and pick up an acoustic and i sort of haven't been back really are you familiar with nick drake at all oh dude love him found out about him in college pink moon was on a car commercial yeah, yeah, like volkswagen, like volkswagen that's right. and yeah he had this huge resurgence and and he was on i went to watch garden state when i was in grad school with a girlfriend of mine and they had a nick drake song there too and so it's just always kind of 
blown away by what he was doing. Um, nobody else sounds like that, you know. And he uses more open tunings than anybody I've ever seen. Every song he does is in a different tuning. I can't imagine sitting there watching him live because most of the show would have been him turning pegs, you know. <laughs> but um, but he's great, and I've tried to mess around with some of his stuff, and it is endlessly frustrating. Like, he's a virtuoso, and I don't, I don't even know uh, – I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny you said that. I don't know if I've ever heard somebody even try to cover him. Man, if you get on YouTube, um, there's English guys that do it. Like, they can play it note for note. There's a guy from Indiana, Josh Turner, I think is his name. Um, he has played more Nick Drake songs, covered more on YouTube than anybody I've seen, and he plays them note for note. I think he was a music major. Oh, wow in college but it's not easy it's really not there's another guy chris brain is his name and he's from leeds area i think and he sounds similar in a way to nick drake on some of the stuff that he does and he's covered a lot of nick drake stuff you know just on youtube but yeah you should check those out if you haven't seen them it's uh it's crazy to see it in person all right know? yeah i'll do that so tell me about Athens. Obviously, that's a famous hub of oh, all sorts of bands and stories and I wish venues I... and everything. What what kind of influence did that have? Well, it's funny when I when I first showed up there, all I cared about was post punk. You know, I mean, I was kind of in the moment and Zeppelin and the Stones, and there was this Zeppelin cover band called Zoso, and they may still be around. I tried to catch them in Denver one time, and it sold out you know, uh, that far away. I couldn't believe it. But in the Southeast, they had a dedicated following and I was there for every show they played, no matter what, even if I was alone, I was going. Wow. And there was a cover band when I was there called Sticky Fingers. That was a pretty good Stones cover band. But uh, other than that though, I was on, I, I roomed with a guy from my hometown that first summer and he had a fairly extensive cable plan and he had VH1 Classic. <laughs> And at the time, they were playing old school, like post punk bands like Split Ends and uh, some of the stuff from The Cure, Susie and the Banshees, um, you know, stuff like that. And um, I would sit on the couch all day and watch that stuff. At the time, you know, old B 52s and REM and all that stuff, living there was almost, right. almost cliche. But now, if I find a jukebox, a lot of times that's what I put on. But, uh, yeah, I wish I'd had more time there. Yeah. I had this kind of life pivot, this changing moment where I was sitting in this Kaplan class trying to get ready for the MCAT. And it was right across the street from the Georgia Theater. And I saw these people lining up for these shows day after day, and I was just absolutely despondent. You know, like, what am I doing here? And it made me so sad. And I finally, the end of the summer right as I was getting ready to take the test, I burned out and oh, I wow. got over it and I had to call my parents and say, look, oh, boy. I'm sorry, I, 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 don't, I don't think I can do this. And they were very patient. All right, we understand, you know, but you gotta, you gotta come up with something else because there's three kids coming behind <laughs> you that we have, to, we have to help. That was kind of that, one of those moments I, I went into, you know, to physician assistant school instead. Right. It probably salvaged my sanity kept me from going off the deep end yeah. uh, and allowed time for music because you're talking about eight years of med school at least i don't know if i'd have uh, 
I don't know if I'd have had any music left in me if I had done that. Yeah, that's a lot. So t- tell us about your uh, your album. You know the where you know where did it come from? How long did you Man, you know, the stories behind that? That's the thing about first albums is you know they say you have your entire life to write your first one. You know you got years and years and years, and it's sort of a compilation of everything that you've done up to that point, and you just pick what you want. You know whatever fits, I guess. Uh, it's that second one that gets you, you know, where you're on a timetable. It's like, all right, well, can you really come up with other material or pick some material that you had before, you know, if you got enough left? For me, it was that album is a combination of songs that I wrote when I was in Denver, which is just a couple of them. Weren't many of those left. And then songs that I wrote when I first moved to Nashville and my sister and her husband live near Talladega. They live in Pell City. He, her husband, my brother-in-law, Zach, he worked on a hunting preserve, like a clay course, you know. So every time I went down there to see him, I would spend all day out there with him. It was so much fun, just even if he was doing maintenance stuff or whatever, and occasionally they'd let me get out and shoot and there were people that he worked with that were a lot of fun. I went fishing with them several times. A lot of those interactions and that setting really fed into the album, and it became kind of a origin story, I guess, with right. my family and where we were, where we had lived and all that stuff, how my parents were brought up and what I had been through and all that. And It just came together really well, those you know, times visiting them when Sylacauga and Talladega really sort of cemented the whole thing for me. And there's the old cemeteries we went off in the woods. I mean, this place, <laughs> and he had to ask around about it. It was so overgrown. It was off the side of the road. You can't see any of it. But after hacking through all this vegetation and everything else, you get to these old stones, you know, they're only about that tall and, right. you know, really small. But yeah, there's people with my last name buried back in the woods. This used to be a cemetery and it's just stuff like that put all that sort of in a new light for me, really brought it to the forefront and it made it, made it easy, man. It came, all of it came together really well. And it's called, uh, Oh, Siloam. Siloam. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Siloam is a, Siloam Baptist Church, they say, like I say down there, they say Siloam, but um, (laughs) Siloam Baptist Church, which is in South Alabama, and there's a cemetery there with a bunch of my relatives buried in it, and so it's kind of an important spot for us. My dad always talked about it. It's just my great-grandfather was the one, or great-great-grandfather was the one to move from central Alabama, you know, sort of hill country, down to south Alabama. We think... It was because he was farming and the land was cheaper, but you know, uh, all bets are off. Like there's, there's no telling. So you said, you said it was pretty easy to have it come together. Was the songwriting the easy part or? Well, to be honest, got to understand too, coming from Denver back to the South. I mean, when I left for Denver, I'd been living in Atlanta and Athens, which weren't, they're not exactly small towns at least not anymore and it had been a long time since i had actually lived in the rural mm-hmm. south or, or been and spent any time in the in the rural south it was all school for me and then i left and went out west and that return 
you know, sort of to the southeast and all the culture, all those things that you think you hate, you don't realize how much you miss them until you move away. Coming back really helped the songwriting process. It was it was magic for me. The other thing about moving back to the southeast and Nashville in particular is that you are hit with all this traditional music, you know, as soon as you hit the city limits. And when I moved there, I was more traditional country. I mean, that was what we were listening to out west. And they had a good scene for that in Denver. But when I was in the process of moving to Nashville, I started doing more fingerstyle stuff, yeah. you know, listening to Towns Van Zant and Guy Clark and some of Steve Earle's stuff and Willis Allen Ramsey, who was a big inspiration for me on this particular album. That that album was supposed to be my Willis Allen Ramsey album, and it came out way too hillbilly for that. But <laughs> it made me want to play more involved guitar instead of just sitting up there strumming three chords in the truth like you do with traditional country a lot of the times. I started turning a corner there, and then the longer I've been in Nashville, the more I've sort of gotten away from that and kind of come in full circle and headed back towards these British folk guys and open tunings and all that that I I liked so much when I was in, in school. So yeah, it's been, a, it's been a neat trip, all things considered. I got to say, Matt, when I first connected with you a few weeks ago and, and listening to your songs and, and this album, I was so excited to meet you because on one hand, your, your voice is familiar for some reason and the melodies and the tunes are familiar, mm. but it's so unique. <laughs> it, it's like you're this like combination of Jimmy Rogers and <laughs> Dwight Yoakam, you know, and like whoever. I mean, it's just, it's so different. I'll take all of that I can get. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it really, it really is. And I, what I'd like to do is spend a couple minutes on some of these songs. Sure. I've got some of the lyrics and we'll start with the opening track. It's called birds of Crenshaw County. Right. I'm going to read a few of the lyrics and if you could just expand on the backstory and, and whatnot, I think maybe it's, it's part of this origin story that you mentioned too about sure. your family. These are, these are incredible lines. So it's birds of Crenshaw County and it goes like this. Me and Hazel Carver Jenkins barreling down a County road towards the beaver pond grocery, living fast and flying low and Hazel's cradling a pistol. She's looking like a bird of prey in a town full of buzzards spinning around waiting on judgment day mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, it gets better actually the next uh, verse is I, i've listened to this so many times i'm like where in the world does this come from <laughs> the old man and his lady were living in a room around the back around the fourth of every july they made all the money they could stack on black cats and roman candles folks raining fire all over town people here in crenshaw county love to see a pretty thing burn Mm. Yeah. Where, where in the world does that come all from? All right, so um, so Crenshaw County, if you drive down here from Nashville, you go through there. And let's see, Luverne is, I think, maybe the county seat, I'm not sure, or Brantley, and then Brundage is in there too. But um, tiny little area, not, not a whole lot going on, really small little towns, but that's where my great-grandparents essentially and my great-great-grandparents set up and they have a little house not far from Luverne that's still standing it's condemned but they still own the land and everything there that was their stomping ground and my great-uncle Homer was his name he had this little general store 
and it was called a beaver pond grocery and it's i could not tell you exactly where it was i know it's since been taken down when i was a kid some of my earliest memories walking in this place he and my great aunt both chewed tobacco and they had spittoons in the house and there was always a space heater on full blast around christmas time and they'd have football on tv but they lived like in a their house was essentially attached to the store like it was part of right. the the store and so they just lived in the in the back and they always gave me firecrackers like that was the thing they'd send me home with you know <laughs> a lot of that comes from from them now the part about the buzzards my hometown bainbridge over the past several years i guess has become a buzzard roost and i don't know why <laughs> oh my God. these things i had a video on my phone i should have saved it the last time i was home for christmas i mean they fly around in clouds <laughs> and if anything anything is dead anywhere in town you can pinpoint exactly where because these things i mean just in droves and there's a water tower and you can pass by the water tower on the bypass or whatever and look up and they're all perched completely surrounding this thing and they're just sitting there you know and i thought you know it's like they're passing judgment on everybody yeah seriously but uh, but that's you know and some of that small town people too can can be a little judgy sometimes so who, who's hazel you know, just I honestly a, just, just made character? her up. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, I don't know why, but I always loved the name Hazel. And I'm big on rhyme and meter, on making sure everything matches or trying to anyway. And Hazel Carver Jenkins just made sense. But yeah, the whole thing is about, you know, like I say, an attempted robbery. And the actually the robbery never happened. Yeah, but, it's I, it was like it's like a Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, that's exactly area. right. Yeah, yeah. I, and and it just sort of came together that way. But uh, but yeah, I think I had the I think I had the riff first. And if you listen to Willis Allen Ramsey's only done one album, and it's legendary, especially among the Americana crowd. Right. You talk to anybody, Kelly Willis, any of these other folks around here and bring up his name, they will have plenty to tell you. There's a song he does called Satin Sheets, which Waylon Jennings end up covering, you know. Uh, a bunch of the stuff from his album, that album, a bunch of those songs got covered. I think almost every song on there. Anyway, I think the, the riff comes from listening to Satin Sheets because he plays that in Open G, and I always loved <laughs> Open G. So, But, yeah, I had the riff first and then just started writing down the uh, story as it came to me. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Well, thank you. I, yeah, it's, it was fun to write. That wasn't one of the difficult ones. Yeah. You know? What about, is, is it Calcimine Blue? So Calcimine is, it's sort of a type of uh, like whitewash that used to be used a lot more often. Nowadays, we don't use it because we have latex paints a lot tougher. But uh, the first house we lived in, my roommate and I in Nashville, East Nashville, had a dirt cellar down below the house. And I had a motorcycle and I would keep the motorcycle down in the dirt cellar and I'd work out down there sometimes and stuff like that. So I spent a lot of time down there and they had buckets of paint, you know, just spare paint sitting up on these shelves on the wall. And one of them, the shade of it was called Calcimine Blue. And so I looked it up found out oh calcimine is this pale color 
blue. It's like whitewash, but it's like sky blue. And the living room was painted that color in that house. And it's just sort of sitting there in that house day after day on my days off, like trying to write. And that color was always there. That just sort of materialized. So these stories from your kind of the family heritage, are you trying to convey a meaning? Is there a, is there a lesson here? Or are they just kind of stories that... Not really. I just, uh, like you say, especially back then, just loved telling a good story. I was never one of those people. A lot of my favorite bands, the post-punk bands and a lot of the English folk guys, they wrote some of them in, in these abstract terms. And I'm sure you've heard the quote before that um, the best poetry is open you know, open to interpretation, you know, by the reader. And I'm paraphrasing there. But, right. And I wanted to write more like that, man, but I was just so linear, right? you know? And so stories just made sense yeah. to me. Like it just, that's the direction I ended up sort of getting pushed in. But what's, what's, what's the story behind Castle Blue? Is that, what, what story is that trying to tell? Man, that's an, I think that's an ex-girlfriend song. And that was, was, it wasn't really much of a relationship. It was an infatuation, really, that I tried desperately to date this girl for three weeks or so. It just didn't work out, and this is really nobody's fault. But it took me forever to get over that. She was just, I just knew she was the one. She was the fish that got away, the big one. And for years it bothered me, and I blamed myself. But then eventually, you know how things fade, and you almost begin to miss that. It's like, oh, all this, these terrible feelings and all that, as, as crazy as that may seem, it's like as soon as they start to fade, you begin to, wait a minute, where'd that go? Right. And um, that's sort of what that one is about, when you're just sort of left, well, you're not hurting anymore, not really, not like you were by any means. But you're just sort of drained and, you know, you kind of feel sort of empty and diminished. And, and that one, that's, that's more along, I guess that's, that's what I was going for there. Well, so this first album, you, you made a comment earlier about it. You have like a, a whole life to sort of put the first album together. Oh, yeah. And then the, the next one may be a bit more challenging. Are you working on an, another album? Man, I, th that's, this will be the third gig i played all year like this year was supposed to be slated as the writing year because i really wanted to put out another album mm -hmm. within a year of when the first one got released you know and try and try and keep that momentum and set a precedent for myself a goal of just you know always writing and always being productive but i went down a huge rabbit hole with the whole english folk thing and that was fun it really was. I loved it. Um, and it led to a lot of guitar parts uh, being figured out and things like that, a lot of melodies, but not a whole lot of lyrics. I've, I've sort of come to realize you can sit around and noodle on a guitar and you'll find things that you like, and that's great. But I think, and I didn't understand this until now, you have to be living you know, in order to have things to write about, you got to get out into the world and experience things. And it's tough to sit at home and make up songs. I'm almost never happy with them when that happens. That's why the first one was so much easier was because I had something to write about. When you just post up in your house, all right, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna write a whole album. That got tougher. I did get better at being abstract though. And, you know, writing more sort of like in a 
poetry style, which I'm I'm happy about. But do you, how how do you get to that point? Desperation, I think. You know, not having stories to tell. It's like a, there went my crutch. All right, I've told almost every story I got worth telling, and we all say that. The truth is, you have that conversation with somebody else, and they'll bring up three stories that you've never utilized that are totally worth telling. And you don't even think about it. But there's got to be, an, for me, a lot of times, like an emotional attachment there, something like that, um, some sort of watermark, you know, so that I remember, oh, okay, yeah, that was, that was a rough time or that was a great time or whatever. So, you know, we all have material that we can use. You know, it's just a, it doesn't always show up on your doorstep, you know, and that's where couch time comes in. Like right. you just kind of have to sit there and, and think which is not the most pleasant thing in the world. Well, you've mentioned a few different genres that you've experimented with or have been into. We're at a festival. If you had carte blanche to put together an evening lineup at a festival with four or five acts, what would that look like? Oh man, I don't, well to lead, you got to have Radiohead in there somewhere. That is contrary to, to, you know, the style of music I play and, uh, everything we've talked about, they are my favorite band of my generation. You know, my living years, I, I listen to more of their stuff than anybody else. And it's always fascinated me. And they, they're one of those one of those bands that I feel like you sort of have to... It's almost like a project. When they release a new album, it's almost like homework. Like, you, you know, for me, anyway, I have to bring it home and i got to live with it for a while and sort of try and make sense of it. Some of them are more user-friendly than others. They'd have to be in there somewhere. And I would love, God, I'd love to have seen Nick Drake just once. You know what I mean? Sure. That would have been great. You know, Nick Jones is still around, but he had this terrible car accident back in the early 80s, and he has never been able to quite play the guitar the way that he, he did before. If you could get pre-80s, late-60s, mid 70s nick jones then uh it's funny too they have they have recordings from folk clubs from like 1973 1974 in the uk that they've posted on youtube and you can actually hear the guy uh from back then they don't have any live you know video or anything but who's, who's closing it out is it radiohead or is it oh yeah i mean radiohead's definitely um they're the headliner like i say because you can't you don't want you don't want Radiohead playing and then putting the folk act up there. That'd be a real problem. Nobody's going to follow those guys. Yeah. What else? There's a band called the Chameleons that I really liked. They were from the post-punk group from Manchester back in the 80s and sort of along the lines of Interpol or Joy Division or something like that. Yeah, that's good. All right. I was going to say, so you got two folk acts and you got two rock acts and you know, everybody's good. happy. All right. Probably not, but... <laughs> So a couple more questions in terms of where you're at in your career and your aspirations. Do you think about, Hey, I want to be known as an artist that is blank, you know, like do you, do you consciously want to have intention around that? Or is it like, Hey, I just want to make good music that I like. And then if people like it, so be it. That's you kind of summed it up right there, man. Considering how, anxious I was about even coming down for this thing like can you imagine me on the road you know I would die I would never make it I'd be a head case I already am so it would just make it worse it'd be a downward spiral I wouldn't mind 
you know, tour in the UK at some point because that's where so many of my influences come from. And they love a lot of American roots music, country blues, and story songs like are on that album and traditional country even. But that and the Southeast are all I really care to. I feel like I've seen most of the country in one capacity or, or another. It's mostly getting this stuff out of my system and and putting it down. The recording is important because I just I want a record of that, you know. Where do you where do you think the anxiety comes from? Man, I've never I've never done well under pressure. I was a kicker in high school, and can you imagine? It You're a field goal kicker. Awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, terrible. That's I like- was the worst, maybe in Decatur County history. They. When I was a sophomore, the guy that we had, I didn't even play football. I was a baseball guy. And um, they said, hey, look, we know your dad taught you how to punt, you know, when you were a kid. Dad was a punter and a quarterback. And it's like, we want you to punt, but we want you to learn how to kick. And so it's like, I was a sophomore. I was like, all right, man, there's, I'll do There's the no best. pressure in the Yeah, in I was going to say, I'll do the best I can, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, they sent me to camp at Auburn. You know, I kicked on at Jordan Hare, you know, on the field and everything. Yeah. I actually made it to the finals of the thing, but learned a lot in a short amount of time, and I loved it. It was a lot of fun, but kicking in an empty stadium versus kicking in a full stadium, two different things. When you got 11 guys coming at you, that's awful, and a crowd full of people watching. So I don't know. That was That was my first – inkling that maybe i'm not the guy that likes to be in front of a crowd for me the writing and the recording was always what i enjoyed the most that's where all the payoff was the live performances they always just made me curl up into a little ball you know so uh and i've gotten better you know at it but uh but it's never easy it's never easy just in to wrap things up so the inspiration for this podcast's has a lot to do with music, but it's also about Ted Lasso and the mindset, positivity, curiosity. He deals with some anxiousness with his panic attacks. You've seen the show. What What are some of your takeaways from either the show itself, a certain character? What What are some of the themes for you personally? Uh, I don't know. I yeah. I wish I could have been on his team. I wish I had a coach like that. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, I I've never known a coach like that. I'll tell you that much. What about the character well, sticks out at you? Well, to be honest, he's just, he's so encouraging. You know, everything has a silver lining. And that's the way it's always, uh, it's always been with that guy. It seemed like through the series, there's always something we can take away from this, some, some positive aspect, you know, or learning experience we can get. And, uh, you know, and that's a, that's a great thing. Like I say, uh, my dad was more of a John Wayne guy, you know, like, right. you know, which classic Southern coach. And that has its advantages, too. They fire you up. You know, right. it's more about like some of these old Southern preachers. They yell and they scream and it gets you, it gets you <laughs> excited, you know, or Kirby Smart. Like, you know, see him doing uh, locker room speeches, yeah, you yeah. know, it's like, no wonder, yeah, you know seriously. what I mean? This, this dude's, uh, inspiring people, but, um, but I don't know. I always like Danny Rojas. Danny, Danny Rojas is my favorite. Football's I mean, life. Yeah. I mean, how, how could he not be? <laughs> he's endless positivity. He's got tons of energy. He is youth and he's also a really hard worker. 
and well-mannered and, you know, uh, knows who he is, knows where he comes from. I mean, he's the perfect guy. You want that dude on your team, you know? Well, for this conversation, I think what's relevant to me that what, what comes to mind is it's kind of cheesy, but the whole believe sign, yeah. you know, above the, the door. Yes, there's tactics in soccer. There's probably tactics with music, mm-hmm. you know, how do you write lyrics? How, how do you, you know, strum a guitar? There's technical aspects that you need to know. But when it comes down to it, it it's actually self-confidence. It's belief. It's when I see this in corporate world. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. I just from a point of, uh, point of uh, vulnerability have never you know, uh, that's, that's one of the things that always plagued me, you know, like I say, being in pressure situations and things like that, if you are confident with a certain song or whatever, overwhelmingly, uh, you know, most of the time, anyway, you, you're going to play that well, no matter what. And if you're not, man, it's crazy what your mind can do, how it can work against you. And so I, I think that's everything. I agree. Yeah. Well, but, for what it's worth, you should have every reason to believe. <laughs> well, I, I sure appreciate it. I mean, seriously, you said something on Instagram and I commented. I'm like, I think you're going to own this festival oh, man. because you know. have such a unique voice and perspective. And I'd love if you played a couple songs. Are you cool with that? Yeah, sure, man. All right. All right. Let's do it. All right. So this is uh, this is Birds of Crenshaw County. Mean Hayes and Carver Jenkins, Maryland down the county road. Towards the Beaver Pond Grocery, we're living fast and flying low. And Hayes was craving in a pistol, she's looking like a bird of prey. In a town full of buzz and sitting around waiting on judgment day. Well, I knew we would be undone if we could not escape abroad and serve bombs in Crenshaw County. The old man is lady living in a room around the back. Around the fourth of every July, making all the money they could stack. Black cats and Roman candles, folks raining fire all over town. People here in Crenshaw County look to see a pretty thing burn now. She was a picture to behold, a flower left wet in the cold. 
Hazel smiled and made an entrance. She walked right through the double doors. While they waved around that pistol, took the old lady to her court. And the hammer fell without a whisper. The old lady wheeled and marked. And then her husband cleared a corner, carrying two barrels of heat. Crawl out the back into the woods. Staring up through the trees in a lucid dream fading into Hazel's arms, warm This is um, this is called Poor Prometheus. Maybe for the first time, oh 
she carries it so high, a beacon for this lovely world to guide. To guide. Now to see across the floor is to see a clipper sailing. She's a bearer of the torch with the flags and banner waving. Oh, how sharp and smooth she glides. Oh, the boards of ancient arbor, oh, I tremble at the sight. So wondrous and so terrible to see To see She seeks no port in storm or gale. Spring's blessed glory she does pay. For she alone push cannot change. She does bright fevers put to Now for me the earth rejoice For your gift it is not wasted And although you suffer still As the dreaded eagle rages There is one who serves you well One mortal yet would bear your flame And I would live to tell I've seen her with these poor and riches These Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Curious Goldfish. Please follow and subscribe to the podcast and on social media. Also, tell your music-loving friends about us too. Until next time, stay curious.